be reading verses 1 through 12. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of, them, seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Our Father, as we pray for your blessing upon this word, open up our hearts and our minds to see what is here. This passage has been mysterious in a very beautiful way, but we long to understand it so that we may see all that goes on around us, that we might have discernment and the light from your truth to help us. Give us clarity of thought and mind in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In our text, we are working through the seven trumpets. Last week, we looked at four trumpets. This morning, we are looking at the fifth trumpet, which is kind of exclusive. If you remember our previous studies on the seals that were opened up, in Revelation, the fifth seal was a seal that gave promise to the saints of God that they will be secure and be able to one day rest in Christ. And this fifth seal, or this fifth trumpet, is opposed or in opposition, opposition to that in that this trumpet declares judgment and suffering and harassment or pain or affliction upon those who are not sealed upon the lost. It begins, chapter 9 begins by talking about a fallen angel. He has already been introduced. The third angel blew his trumpet in verse, chapter 8, verse 10, at the third trumpet blow. The third angel blew his trumpet, and the great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. 
this very brief statement about this fallen star. It's not a different star. There are not two fallen stars. They're talking about the same one. Introduced in chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we're getting more of a detailed look at what he does in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. So this morning we're going to look at this fallen star introduced by the third trumpet and we also get a description of the very results of its presence of, that his presence produces in this world in 9, 1 through 12. Who is the fallen star? Where did he come from? What is he allowed to do? And then beyond that we hope to look at three quick points. The falling angel produces overwhelming spiritual darkness. The fallen angel is given permission by God to torment the lost. And the third point, spiritual darkness, is described by dreadful metaphors. Those of you who are Bible students should understand and realize already that this fallen angel is Lucifer. Lucifer doesn't, doesn't, the word or name Lucifer does not appear in the English Standard Version. It is in the King James. The English Standard Version reads, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? In King James, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The word Lucifer rarely means light bearer. And in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we get descriptions of his fall, being cast out of heaven. How are you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. We understand that biblically there were first three archangels. There was Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer is understood to be the most beautiful. Ezekiel 28 gives us a little more detail about who he once was and when he fell. It was asked to me just recently, did he fall before creation or after creation? Ezekiel 28 seems to indicate he fell soon after creation. Kind of answers a question. Ezekiel 28, verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, so he was a created being, he's not eternal like God, he was created. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of the fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you. O guardian cherub, you are brought down to the grave, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over this. 
Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? What caused Lucifer to stumble? Well, biblically it says unrighteousness was found in him. What kind of unrighteousness? Very likely pride. Jealousy. C.S. Lewis suggests, borrowing from this text, a reasonable answer. The Bible does not explicitly say why. But suggests that after creation... Lucifer, seeing how God had made man and woman in such an exalted state and gave them such honor and responsibility over all that he had created, Lucifer became jealous. And caused rebellion. And led Adam and Eve astray in his revenge, trying to get even. Now we cannot explicitly understand if this is exactly what happened, but it sounds reasonable. Lucifer was a created thing. He was under or subject to God's dominion and rule. And he always has been. He always will be. He still is. And I can imagine that one of the things that he did once... He tried to overthrow God, being jealous of what God did for Adam and Eve, being cast out of heaven, being humiliated, losing his place in glory. He goes to Adam and Eve and deceives them, convinces them to rebel against God. And I can imagine, this is my imagination, this is not biblical, but it's reasonable shaking his fist at God and see what I've done. This is my new normal. The sin that Adam and Eve led us into by their rebellion, by their disobedience, is not what God intends as normal. And we need to remember that. We have something greater to look forward to. We have something wonderful to look forward to a restoration a renewal but it's not yet Lucifer was a created thing he was under or always subject to God's dominion and rule we see that example in Job chapter 1 when Job a very honorable man a righteous man was tested or allowed to be tested There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered to the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, 
only against him do not stretch out your hand. And we all know what happened to Job. This text gives us an indication that Satan does not move without God's permission. So who is a fallen star? Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Where did he come from? Initially he came from heaven, but was cast down because of his pride and his arrogance and his rebellion. What is he allowed to do? He is allowed some limited authority in this world, but he cannot act without God's permission and for God's purpose. Revelation describes the influence he has on this world. Looking again very quickly, briefly at Revelation 8, it says that in verse 11, it says a third, when he the fallen star was cast down, it says a third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. There are a lot of people who read this text as, oh, this must be all about pollution. It's of the devil. Let me suggest something else. Pollution might be a small part of it, but this is about replacing truth with lies because that's what Satan loves to do. Replace all truth, all of God's truth, with his own lies. That's why it's described as wormwood. That's why it's described as bitter. That's why it is poisonous. That's why it is deadly. If you believe Satan's lies your life is going to suffer. In the garden, through his deception, Adam and Eve were led astray, and since that day, all of creation, in one sense, has been under the influence of his proud rebellion, because we have bought into it. Mankind has followed suit with his lead, and it's been to our detriment. It's been to our destruction. While Satan could call it the new normal, it's not normal. It's never meant to be. Remember, Job could not be touched without God's permission. His influence is limited. Well, how come we find so much suffering in this world? Isn't all this suffering of the devil? A lot of the suffering is by man's own pride and by man's own devices. I was trying to remember this morning who said it. There was some apologeticist who had come to the conclusion in his studies that all of mankind is subject to one or two things, or or they are hungry for one of two things. They either want power or they want pleasure. You satisfy one group with power, you can satisfy another group with pleasure. Neither one of them are seeking God. If you can understand that basic overarching principle, you can understand what's going wrong in this world because there are those who are trying to find power and control everyone, and they just, here, we'll provide you with pleasure, with distraction. We'll give you what you think you need, and it will be okay. But it is not of God. It is following Satan's lies.
is not always is following his lies, it's not always following his direction. It's not always principally caused specifically by him. Sometimes, most often, more often than not, it's brought upon by our man's own sin. You remember Job could not be touched without God's permission. Also remember that Jesus confronted people who were demon-possessed. And if you can remember the accounts in the New Testament, even the demons knew him and submitted to his power. He commanded them, and they obeyed. They recognized him when he approached. In Matthew chapter 12, the demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Talking about the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, it is only by the devil that this man is doing this, the prince of demons. That is the man that this man cast out demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself can stand. And if Satan cast out demons, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But of the Spirit of God that I ca- it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then the Lord says something a lot of people miss. Matthew 12, 29. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. The Lord was telling the Pharisees that Satan is bound. He's under my authority. And I'm going to plunder his goods with the gospel. I'm going to take those who he holds captive and set them free. That's what he meant by saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Satan's power is limited. It's awful, it's terrible, but it is limited. He does not have equal power or authority that God has. His influence is limited. Now, Revelation 9, now that you know who this fallen angel is, The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Please notice what we already established. Satan's authority is limited. Here it says, someone gave him the keys to the pit. He could do nothing until he had the keys in his hand. The fallen angel then produces overwhelming spiritual darkness. The fallen angel is given permission by God to torment the lost, and the spiritual darkness is described by dreadful metaphors. Talking about the locusts and the scorpions, those are metaphors. There are some people who think that we're going to really see such creatures running around this world. No, I don't think so. You're allowed to disagree with me, but just listen to me for a moment and Consider what I have to say here. The 
Verse 3 of chapter 9. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm, you know, locusts, when locusts are around, they'll eat all green vegetation. But here, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months. Why five months? What's so special about that? Well, that's usually the lifespan of locusts. They go from spring to August. April or May until August. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings. Locusts in ancient times were dreaded. It was a pest, a bug, a great big grasshopper that liked to eat everything in sight. They could not be stopped. They didn't have the pesticides we have now. They didn't have the controls that we have now to limit them. They ruined crops and vegetation. They caused, often caused famine. But the Bible says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Why is he using the description? This is kind of a morphed creature, locusts that looks like a scorpion. It has, we'll talk about the different features, but what is all of this? My mind just goes, when I think of this, these are metaphors. We probably won't see these creatures really running around. But if we open up our minds and open up our understanding, we might be able to see what he is trying to teach us here. And I hope and I pray this makes sense. Locusts were everywhere. Whenever they would come out of their chrysalis, whenever they would come out for the season, they would swarm everywhere. And you couldn't stop them. You couldn't get away from them. They ruined everything that they ate. They truly were a difficult thing to deal with. We have no idea. There are some third world countries that still have the problem. But we in the modern West have been able to control them, cut them back, eradicate them, exterminate them, limit them. So it's kind of hard to understand how prevalent they were at the time. He also talks about, describes them kind of half locust, half scorpion. Scorpions, there are over 1,500 species. 25 are potentially deadly without medical attention. They are very often opportunistic hunters. Some are aggressive hunters. Some will just kind of wait in the darkness and look for a prey, another little bug or another little spider. They will grab it with their pinchers and start stinging it to death till it's ready for supper. And scorpions, if they feel threatened, might do that very thing to you. Grab hold of your skin and just start poking you with the tip barb of their tail. 
It's going to smart. It's going to hurt. If it's one of the venomous ones, it's going to make you very uncomfortable for a very long time. And if you don't get medical attention, it could end in death. Scorpions are on every continent except Antarctica and Greenland. So they're just about everywhere. I must confess, I have in my own life have never seen a scorpion. My wife did one time. I think she told me, she said she went into her, the house and started getting some dishes out of the dish drain and there was a scorpion right there in the sink. She had to call her grandmother, come over and get this thing. They show up in surprising places. Locusts and scorpions are dreaded creatures and make life miserable. According to Revelation, spiritual locusts and scorpions are released on this world to torment the sinner. Spiritual scorpions are released on this world to torment the sinner. Prevalence of sin, like these bugs, cannot be stopped. They are inv- it is invasive, it is predominant, it can be all-consuming. Sin is everywhere. Its suffering causes pain upon everyone. So we got to rec- we must recognize, you know, these are terrible bugs. But you know, we're kind of accustomed to this new normal, this new normal that Satan has instilled upon us. We don't see sin as something that is that ugly or that terrible or that painful. We're just used to it. We're accustomed to it. We've acclimated to it. Sometimes we participate in it. But it only proves the point that it is everywhere. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? They were required to bring an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an acceptable offering. Cain brought an unacceptable offering. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires, the desire, its desire is for you but you must rule over it. We don't usually see in this text that God is giving some grace to Cain. Cain, go back and find an offering that is acceptable. Don't be depressed. Don't be angry. Don't be bitter. If you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not, recognize that sin is crouching waiting to jump on you and rule your life. That's what we need to recognize about sin. That's what John is trying to tell us in these half scorpion, half locust bugs that are described in Revelation. Sin is a terrible thing. Verse 5 of chapter 9, they were allowed to torment for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of the scorpion when it stings. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, 
but death will flee from them. I don't understand that. We have to look figuratively at the term seeking death. How do you seek death and not find it? You pursue the path of sin. You pursue the indulgence, the lust, the hunger, the perceived need in your life that will lead to death. No one gets away from death. No one escapes it. But this is just telling us how terrible and in bondage these people were. James 1, 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. John here is talking about people who are pursuing death in all of their activities, all of their actions, indulging in the sins, following the temptations. That's what it means when he says people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die. They will just consume everything that is killing them until it finally does, means they will not repent. They will indulge in and practice the deeds that are all repugnant to God's eyes, the very sins that bring forth death. The fallen angel produces overwhelming spiritual darkness. He releases upon this world smoke, that darkens the eyes of people, limits their vision, limits their understanding. He's given permission by God to torment the lost. And the spiritual darkness is described as by the deadly metaphors, and we've just talked about this, the metaphors of the locust, half-scorpion, bugs. Let's look a little bit more closely at their description in verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like a woman's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them an angel of the bottomless pit. His name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Two woes are still to come. This is describing spiritual warfare at full play. We don't always see it. We are accustomed to living within Satan's definition of normal. But if you look at the description, these creatures wearing crowns doesn't mean they're ruling, just means they're very proud. They have human faces. So in essence, they are sinners given over to all the consuming passions of their sin. Women's hair might suggest that they are alluring and tempting. 
They look attractive. Might be. I'm lion's teeth, they are deadly. Loud rushing noise describes the you young people, when I use the word din, D-I-N, you know that means a lot of loud noise. If you've ever been in a big crowd that's making so much noise that you, you have to yell at one another to speak, that's called a din. The din around you, is, it's just loud noise. Loud rushing noise, the din of confusion of this world, all of the confusing things that we hear, this purpose right, this purpose right, you're wrong. We're hearing so much of it now. We can't even get people to, to agree on what a woman is anymore. We get people, so many people are offended by using the wrong pronouns that people just will not be quiet. It is all confusion because spiritual darkness has been wrapped around this world. And we can see it. It's not against us. It's not against you and I. We are kind of bewildered by it and a little alerted by it and maybe a little frightened by it, but it is upon their heads that this is happening. It is not upon the people of God. 1 John five nineteen. we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's what this is talking about. There's a dynamic tension that we are seeing at play here. God has authority and power to rule the world he created. But man is still in rebellion and chooses Satan's new normal. You might ask, when will all of this happen? It has already been happening. It's escalated in the last few years. The locusts are everywhere. The scorpions are everywhere. I can show you example after example, example, and, and we just don't have that much time, but let me just illustrate one. In 1953, Hugh Hefner began a magazine that's promoted sexual freedom and had a very profound influence upon this world. Promoted a lifestyle free of moral constraints. A lot of people considered exciting, glamorous, even luxurious. He was making a lot of money doing this. The women he used and the women he abused were all lovely. They were considered beautiful. Photographed thousands, took many to his own bed. But a lot of people kept forgetting each and every one of those women were someone's daughter, someone's sister. Some of them were someone's mother. Perhaps every now and then a husband's wife. Do you think their families were glad about it? Every time there is a breach in promise, every time there is a failure in morality, every time there is a disappointment, there is a sting of the scorpion. 
Every time a child lies to his mother, every time a, a spouse lies to his or her spouse, there is a sting in the scorpion. This is not something we look forward to. This is something that's been going on in every single generation already. It's just been escalated. We've got to recognize the sting of the scorpion. We've got to recognize that sin is, is as prevalent as locusts, and we need to repent of it. We need to circle our own spiritual wagons and rest in the Savior because this suffering is not normal. This is not the normal that God intended, but it will continue to escalate. Their king is known as Abaddon, the destroyer. We need to recognize that. We have a new king who has offered us something better. Something we celebrate when we come to the table. The Bible begins with creation of a garden and Revelation ends with an eternal garden. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who, has, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. I am going to reestablish God's normal and I know in your heart and your mind you say oh Lord Jesus I can't help I can't wait till that happens even so now come Lord Jesus but do you know what he's already begun he's already begun that's why we remember him at this table did you figure it out yet if you have received Christ as your Savior, you have a brand new soul. He's already begun making all things new, and he begins with the most important thing, your very soul. So let's stay away from the sins of this world. Let's not fear of the darkness that is there, but let's look to the light that we find in Christ Jesus. And let's rejoice in the gift he gives us. Shall we pray? Lord, this day, speak to our hearts and help us. Help us as your children to be faithful to you. And use us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. As we approach this table, let's turn in our hymn.